0: Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, welcome to the My Risk Advisor Podcast. Today with me, I have Lexi Smith, who is a founder of MoneyVine. We have a great chat about money coaches and where they fit in the ecosystem. And we talk about referring to financial counsellors, financial coaches and financial advisors. And then we get a really deep dive into the reason why Lexi decided to move out of advice into money coaching so a really powerful story i hope you get a lot of value out of this episode and if you know anyone who will get value out of it send them a link send them a message say hey buddy i think you get value out of this have a great listen awesome thanks for joining us lexi so first of all let's just start off with like what is your background
1: I was a financial advisor, funnily enough, being on this podcast. Um, So, I was registered, licensed for 10 years um, and I left the industry in 2020, so two years ago now.
0: Yeah, cool. So, why did you come from being a financial advisor and starting your own business and also, what is that business? What does Moneyvine do?
1: So, Moneyvine is financial coaching, so I cannot give advice anymore Um, and there are a few different reasons for me moving from advice to financial coaching, one of them was actually, it goes back a long time. So when I was in probably year nine or 10, I decided I wanted to be an advisor. And what I thought I was getting myself into is probably more of what I'm doing now. Um, So, you know, until you work in the industry and see what goes on and what happens, you sometimes don't really have a great idea of what that entails. So, what I'm doing now is what I thought that I would be doing when I was, you know, 15 years old.
0: And so, okay, for, for anyone who doesn't know, like what the heck does a money coach do?
1: So, it's a very focused on cash flow, a little bit of education and accountability. So, getting people ready... To see an advisor, really. Um, I get a lot of referrals from advisors where they have someone rock up on their doorstep thinking they need financial advice, but they're not in a position to pay, you know, $3,000 plus for advice. Um, and so rather than in the past having to say, I'm really sorry, we can't help you, they now at least have someone that they can refer to that knows will look after them and then in the event that they do need advice in the future, can be referred straight back to that same advisor.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, it's really interesting because, yeah, I, you know, we do an insurance-only business, uh, as you know. um, And so, the way we're remunerated is predominantly via commissions. Um and so we yeah. charge a fairly small upfront fee for our clients. Um and one thing we were just going through like a a goals and value session as a team and talking about like what we're passionate about, why we do what we do and, and one of the things that we really kind of landed on as our core purpose was at Sky we help people protect what matters most by providing simple and affordable advice and so for me that was really core of like well, what I'm passionate about is making advice affordable because yeah. I went from holistic advice where you you, literally, you just can't speak to a client for less than three grand and, and yeah. even that you're unprofitable probably um, or you've yeah. really got to scope it down and and really the, the advice that you can give is kind of like, you know, roll over money to a you know, a wrap account and set up an investment account, and set up insurance. And, you know, wrap that all into a three grand fee. And if we want to talk again, I've got to put you on an ongoing retainer. And it's just really unaffordable. Yeah. Like, and that, that was kind yeah. of my big frustration with advice after, yeah, it was probably eight years, is going, advice is so unaffordable and really difficult to give. And, and I'm passionate about affordable advice. And I, I kind of built in a little bit of coaching in my holistic advice firm, but decided to go, actually, you know what? I'm going to help someone buy a really important financial product and it has to be wrapped in advice. And, and I believe it to be wrapped in advice um, because people need advice on that. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about, about affordable advice. Um, and that's not to go against holistic advice because that's very valuable for the people who need it. But for the majority of Australians, we don't need full financial advice or or, so we need it but the cost barrier is way too high yeah um so that's why like i i wanted to have a chat to you because you know talking about these money coaching and and how it fits into kind of the overall ecosystem of of advice even though you know we we all kind of understand where well actually no one understands the barrier between advice and and non-advice um but but we understand what a money coach can kind of bring and 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 where financial advice has to step in and present a statement yeah. of advice, um, but like, help me understand exactly like your day to day. How do you actually work with clients?
1: Well, the way that I look at it, just talking about that, that ecosystem and that landscape quickly, we're in Australia, we have financial counselling, which is a free service for people that are up to their eyeballs in debt, struggling financially. And for many, many years as an advisor, I didn't even know that service existed. Uh, and so maybe some of the advisors listening today also don't realise that that is an option for people. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, We have advice and we all know that very well, but there's a lot of people who don't fit in either of those categories. They're kind of left in the middle and where they've typically gotten their guidance from is weekend barbecues um, if the topic of money comes up. So in relation to charging, which was your question, um, because I don't have the overheads that an advisor does in terms of licensing costs my overheads are quite low. So I can Mm. afford to be able to deliver a session for, you know, $150 to someone and they know then that they know my background, they know that I can't give advice, but I'm still able to identify key things in their situation, which warrants a referral to an advisor. So, that's as well good for financial advice in general, because if you have an advisor telling someone you need financial advice, that could potentially be as biased. But Mm. if you have someone who's no longer a part of that saying, I really think you would benefit from financial advice, go and see X, Y, or Z, um, then that comes across quite differently.
0: And uh, I mean, it's, we all kind of, anyone who's ever received a referral from an accountant or a mortgage broker and, and a warm lead where the, the trusted mm-hmm. partner has said, hey, go and see these people because I think you need it. Like those clients are much yeah. easier to convert and to, to become clients as well. And so help me, help me understand you've got different kind of like options for clients, like group sessions, one-on-one meetings. So help me understand your overall kind of business and how that looks.
1: Yeah. So the majority is one-on-one, but of course that's not um, very scalable. So the group part of it is good for me as a business, but also good for those who aren't quite ready for one-on-one. They want to dip their toe in the water. It's also really good for them to hear like in a group setting other people's questions. And depending on personality, some people might want not want to ask certain questions, but they're able to hear the answer to that question because someone else has asked it. Mm. Um, In relation to the one-on-one stuff, I'm a really big believer that there's not one size that fits all. Everyone's situations are so different. What people are looking for is so different. Um, And everyone's at different stages. So I do offer... One off type meetings um, that are longer in length um, and a bit more in depth. And then I also have ongoing financial coaching. So, there for people who need a little bit more hand holding, know that they'll get better results with accountability because a lot of people know what they should be doing. A bit like I know that I should be exercising, but unless I have someone that I'm being accountable to, I'm just not going to do it. So, There are those two options in terms of one-off and also ongoing. Um, And I don't have a minimum number of sessions. Like some people might need just one or two. Other people might need, you know, 24. You just – you try and tailor something to suit that person.
0: And, yeah, it's really interesting. Like money – I always say this, money is the easiest thing to understand. Like you earn money and if you spend more than that, then you're going to – at a loss if you spend less than that then you'll have money left over and so like money is kind of such a simple concept but no one manages it well or or very few people actually end up managing it well and the whole Mm -hmm. financial planning as an industry the reason we're around is because people don't understand money it can be complex in certain areas uh, and they need help for it Um, and so I wonder what your thoughts are whether like financial advice practices, if they could think about bringing something like that in-house, like is that, is that a, a viable option to bring like a money coaching where it's provided by not an advisor um, and, and a very similar model to, you, to your business or does it always have to sit outside of that financial advice framework?
1: No, I don't think um, that it needs to sit outside at all. I think you could definitely employ people as financial coaches. Um, I think one thing to be aware of is that just because someone else is good with, someone is good with numbers or good at managing someone else's money in terms of investments and super contributions, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're good with money themselves in terms of. Um, cash flow a lot of people that I see they earn really good money I have clients myself that are advisors and that are accountants um, and they value this service just as much as anyone else so I think um, yes it can certainly be something that you can have in-house but you need to be really careful of who you employ in that particular role of course they they don't necessarily at the moment, need any kind of qualification and I think that will change over time in terms of regulation. But, um, yeah, I think it can certainly be done that way as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, th- thanks for asking it, Phil. Um, <laughs> imagine saying your own question is interesting. I mean, how arrogant. Um, so... <laughs> the reason i was thinking of it is because one of the difficulties with money coaching is like where where is the line between financial advice and not financial advice and if and if that's inbuilt into a financial advice you know f- business you know, the The barrier to what is seen to be financial advice financial product advice is mm-hmm. does the client think you 're giving them financial advice it 's got nothing to do with how yeah. you say it or what you do and and there 's yeah. frameworks to make sure that you know it is general advice but but at the end of the day, the barrier is really strange in like the client just needs to like have a thought that you were giving them formal financial advice even mm-hmm. if you didn 't prevent present them with a statement of advice so I think wrapping that service within a financial planning business has always been a, a bit fraught with danger because licensees mm-hmm. don't kind of like it because that that line between advice and coaching is very blurred. And so, they yeah. just – I think a lot of licensees just went, no, you can't do coaching. If you're going to give advice, it needs to be wrapped in a statement of advice mm-hmm. and, you know, all, all of that compliance. So, I wonder – it's it's an interesting thought exercise because I, I personally don't think it can be because – I think the client, if they're getting formal financial advice from one person in the firm and then coaching from another, then they could reasonably expect that that's all advice.
1: That sounds a bit like a limiting belief, Phil.
0: I mean, no, it sounds like I'm I'm freaked out by compliance. Um, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like <laughs> I'm more down I'm a financial advisor worn down by compliance.
1: Yeah. Well. That's yet another reason why I decided to pursue this, um, because I am very much a rule follower, and I get so bogged down in ticking all the right boxes, um, dotting my I's, crossing my T's, and I felt like I had no time to actually help people because I was doing so much of that compliance stuff. So mm. I get it.
0: Yeah, and and that, and that's kind of my, my broader point is I I, f- I think it'd probably be difficult for an advice firm to really build in coaching in their business, um, and I think I'm it probably needs you to be say partnered that, Phil,
1: because if it if everyone just wants to refer to me then
0: I'm okay yeah, with that. <laughs> exactly. And and I think I think that is like I mean that's that's what we do and I think that is the right solution if people aren't ready for for advice then mm. at the moment it's really difficult as advisors like we 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 should be thinking about how do we build out a team around us for for things that we don't do um and and the industry's moving that way a, a lot of people are cross referring and and there's a lot of dynamics there like a lot of people are quite busy so they're getting a bit more selective on the clients that they're bringing on there's like limited time and limited ability to service in a compliant way um so i i mean i really do believe this the solution is to partner with service providers just like you know, not every advice firm brings mortgage broking in-house or accounting in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we do need to find those partners for those different solutions. So, I mean, you touched on advisors may not understand like financial counselling and that that kind of framework. Help me understand how that works. Does someone need to be, you know, in financial stress to qualify? Like is there any qualifying factors when it comes to financial counselling?
1: I'm glad that you bring that up because there are some, I guess you could call them eligibility points that you should be able to tick to um, gain access to that service. But um, there's one at the end that is kind of like an all-encompassing, and I can't remember the exact terminology. But, um, yeah, if you're in financial stress, if you're up to your eyeballs in debt, if you're struggling to pay a bill, that is one of the things. If you can't pay a bill, then you're eligible. Yeah. Um, They are able to negotiate debts on their client's behalf. Um, I have had some clients who I have referred to financial counsellors because as well as referring up to advisors, I sometimes do refer down to financial counsellors. Um,
0: across. We'll say across. There's no up and down. I was just thinking that probably yeah. <laughs> not the best use
1: of words, was it? But when I kind of see those, We're all on
0: the same plane. It's just, it's just Yes, thank you, Phil. Yeah.
1: So... As I was saying, um, as well as referring across to advisors, I also refer across to financial counsellors. And I have had two clients come back to me and say, they aren't going to help me because I earn too much.
0: Yeah, okay. And so
1: I reached out to a few financial counsellors that I have met and I said, this is what's just happened and they were gobsmacked. They were so shocked um, and basically said that there is – because I said, well, what is the amount? Like if you earn 100000 does that automate?" automatically make you ineligible? Um, or what is the number? So, I know so that I don't refer to them unnecessarily or, mm. you know, when I shouldn't be. And they said, no, there's definitely not an amount. If you earn $200,000 and you spend $250,000, you've got a problem there. Mm. So, you know, they should be able to receive financial counselling, but financial coaching gives them another option as well.
0: That's right. And and that's why it's it's good to just kind of Build out your kind of knowledge and your networks as as financial planners to go. Okay, who is the right fit for this client when they come to me? Like, I don't need to. And and it's a it's an ethics requirement, like as, as a part of FASIA code of ethics, to make sure we're, not, we're only servicing clients that we can confidently believe we can help and um, and we have the experience and expertise in those areas. Um, so building out networks and understanding more about financial counselling, understanding about more about financial coaches and and what. Um, different people in the ecosystem do is is super helpful. Um, and yeah, I, you know, myself as an advisor, I don't know much about the financial counselling kind of ecosystem, um, definitely, and it'd be worthwhile having another um, conversation with a financial counsellor about that. Um, but people get funny and, and probably less these days, advisors are less kind of competitive, um, but like, Are you a friend or are you a foe in your business? Like are we competitors or we work together? Friend
1: every day of the week.
0: Why do you say that? If if an advisor thinks, well, you're just going to work with some of my clients and tell them, you know, what to do with their investments or what to do with their cash flow and, and we've built in a cash flow system within our business, like, yeah, you may not tell them exactly what to invest in but you can kind of guide them under the guise of general advice. Like there could be that worry and concern from the advice community.
1: I, I do little, very little in terms of speaking about investments. If someone is interested in investing, depending on the amount, it's either a referral to an advisor or a referral to a business who is licensed to provide general advice. And so there are some out there that have online courses and things that I feel really comfortable referring to because they have that credibility and that license to provide general advice. So I do very little. It's you know because I'm very 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 aware of that mm. fine line, um, and so I'd say cash flow is probably oh 85 90 percent of what I do. Um, there is a lot of looking at you know how can how can we reduce your expenses to generate a bit of a cash flow surplus so that then an advisor can work their magic with you. Um, but there's also something that I find that um, a lot of, say, Facebook groups, there are a lot of Facebook groups that are all about budgeting, especially for mums, uh, which would I'd say would be my primary target market. Um, but there's not a lot of talk on the other side of the equation, getting your income up. Because, of course, savings come from increasing your income and reducing your expenses. But there is a, a limit to how much you can reduce your expenses. You have to put food on the table. You have to have somewhere to live. Um, but there is actually no limit to how much you can earn. So I think it's changing mindset around things like that as well. Um, you know, if you spend all of your energy getting your bills down, but no energy improving um, your education or uh, asking for a pay rise. So many people don't even ask and they don't, if they do ask, they don't necessarily say it in the best way to get the best result. Hmm. So things like that, like that's not stuff that an advisor should be doing, Um, but it's something that is very valuable and it's kind of the foundation of their whole financial future, isn't it? So yeah, that's
0: why I say friend every day of the week. Yeah, and I mean, I, I agree and that's why we're friends. Um, so, <laughs> um, And and so, I, I think about this and I put my hat on as a, as a you know former holistic advisor because it is a big push. How do we increase our services? How do we do cash flow? Because cash flow is a very difficult thing. Um, piece of the puzzle for advisors to manage. Because the cost to serve a client on an hourly basis is $350 per hour or something ridiculous okay. that, that advice firms charge. And and it's not ridiculous because it's expensive to run an advice business. Yeah. You just uh, open the doors, it's cost you $100,000. Um, and that's just in, in outgoings. Um, and so... I guess. I guess. What is the best way for an advice firm to partner with with a money coach? Is it is it just to send referrals out? Because advisors can be a bit, you know, protective of their clients, and they wanna they wanna hold that relationship close. So, mm-hmm. is there a mechanism to do like not necessarily a JV, but do a more formalized partnership in 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 them selling an ongoing service that that includes your um a part of your service and a part of your ongoing assistance for the clients? Is it something you've thought about and or you actively do at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think that any referral that anyone gives, that is a reflection on them. So I think it is really important to make sure that any referral you make that you are very comfortable with it. In terms of what that looks like for advisors, it may well be that they choose just one client to do a bit of a trial run with and are more involved in those conversations um, with me and with the client during that period. Or it may even be that they'd like to go through the process themselves. So something, one of the services I do do is called a cash flow critique. Um, I haven't found any tools out there, even the personal financial management um, software that kind of does what I do in that space. So it's a very manual process, but it can be incredibly, I'm going to say life-changing. So it's like looking at every single transaction in the last 12 months and seeing what picture that paints um, a lot of people just have no idea they know that they should probably cut back on takeaway and retail but until you actually see the numbers you don't really know what you're working with so just a couple of examples I've got one client spending $700 a week on takeaway on top of their groceries I've got another client who her husband works away um, and because of all of the, the border closures, he didn't really see his daughter for the first 18 months of her life. Um, so what I'm getting at there is like that is a sacrifice that he is making by working away. But when you look at where their money is going, they're just blowing it like mm. 350 bucks a week on retail. 350 bucks a week every week. For 12 months on retail, and of course, yes, we need to buy undies when they get holes in them. Like I'm not saying we shouldn't spend anything in the retail space, um, but if someone's making sacrifices like that, and you know it's not really for any reason, I think that that warrants having a look at those transactions and deciding. You know, I'm not here to tell anyone how much to spend or what to spend it on, but because of how many that I see, I'm be able to like to identify. If something is outside of normal ranges.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if if every financial advisor would have had the conversation with a client, how much are you spending per year? Okay, this much. Okay, your earnings is this, your tax is this, your spending is, you know, 10 grand a year. Where's that $100,000 a year that you're telling me you're saving? Where, where's that going? Oh, you mm-hmm. you've, you're left with five grand a year or you're left with nothing? Okay, well that money's going somewhere so <laughs> let's try and work out where it is and that and that that's very difficult time consuming work as as you mentioned but um, I love it yeah and and advisors uh, you know some advisors do love it but it it is very difficult to make it a profitable business out of it um, and it's very and it's a huge value add for the clients as you mm-hmm. said and so I'd love to hear like have you had any like um reactions from advisors like give me a bad story i want to have you had any bad stories from advisors bad
1: story like I,
0: any advisors like being you know. really frustrated and going oh, well you know you know you shouldn't be doing that business because money coaching is not a real thing or you know has right, there any no, been any poor reaction not at all no oh, i wanted I a did. juicy story <laughs> that's disappointing all right um that's good i mean good good on us advisors for um you know I, I mean, my view and I think it, it is shared across a lot of advisors is like there are so many clients to go around. Like it's it's insane how many clients mm-hmm. don't get advice um, and we understand why because it is cost prohibitive and so there are so many other things that, that clients and other avenues like the reason, you know, Finfluencers or like people... Mm. social influencers who talk about finance is exploded in the last few years is because people are craving assistance. People need these services yeah. and having different people along the value chain not not up or down across and and across the kind of the cost spectrum to be perfectly honest is is super important. Mm-hmm. And so kind of moving forward looking forward I'd love to hear kind of what your vision for your business is but f- before we touch on that, um, are you worried about re- regulatory environment when it comes to, like, general advice or, like, money coaching? You know, is ASIC going to look at that and maybe regulate that? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I am not worried at all. Um, I know that a lot of advisors over the last couple of years have left the industry partly because of the educational requirements. That actually wasn't me. I had All I had to do was the ethics unit. So, my thoughts around all of that are that if more regulation comes into play um, and there's something extra that I need to do, I just do it and that's the end of it. So, I don't really see that as a problem for me in my business, but I do know that there are financial coaches out there that don't have a background in financial planning and maybe that would be a bigger hurdle for them.
0: Yeah. and I mean, it's. I guess it's more... Yeah, you know, it's very kind of the current regulatory environment's kind of fairly basic. You've got a, a massive hurdle to jump over to give advice, or, you know, relatively low, but, you know, um, mm. ring fenced, um, if you will, but there's no barrier to to entry to that. Like yeah. to get to talk to someone and give them money coaching, like you need to be good and, and have expertise, but you're not like, doing 10 hours worth of work just to have that one hour meeting like like advisors are so um there is it's either it's a all or nothing at the moment in, in the current mm. um, regulatory environment. So it's more if ASIC come in and say okay maybe we'll we'll put a, a smaller hurdle on not necessarily licensing but like a a formal arrangement about when you have a conversation that needs to end in a statement of suggestion or whatever whatever term they yeah. want to come up with um, that may maybe create they three extra hours you
1: in that space let them know. <laughs>
0: Oh no, I please don't. I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna have any suggestion. I'm not smart enough to come up with any regulatory ideas, but um I guess it's more Another about a limiting cons-
1: belief, Phil.
0: It's no, I'm just I know I'm not smart enough. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> That's something else as well. Just like I know I've said that twice now. Our mindset and I'm you know, there's a lot of talk out there about money mindset and I'm more about the numbers and you know I'm going to use the word woo woo. I'm not really into the woo woo, but mindset is actually really important. So be conscious of the way that you talk about, you know, yourself and money and all the rest of it.
0: I a hundred percent agree, and and the reason I self-deprecate is because I'm naturally extremely confident, <laughs> and I and I just want, but I'm but I I don't I don't put that many tickets on myself, but I'm quite confident. In myself, yeah. so it's like I need to self-deprecate, so it like balances out like my uh, outsized ego. Um, but but I, I mean I don't I don't look I just don't have any any desire to have a massive influence on regulatory changes. I would love to see certain things happen, and I want to influence certain things in some ways, but but not in a in an outsized way. But it was more a question about like you know if. Could you see in the future ASIC coming and in saying instead of like the, the 15, 20 hours of an SOA, like after that one-on-one meeting, you need to produce a document that's going to take you three hours, therefore taking that one-hour meeting with, you know, a lot of prep in the back, beforehand, maybe you need to do an extra several hours and therefore it becomes less, less profitable and more expensive and so it, it's much more difficult to provide your services. Are you worried about that?
1: I have pivoted so much in the last 18 months to two years that I fully expect more pivots. Um, And you just have to take every day as it comes and kind of concentrate on what you do know now. Um, And, yeah, I'm certainly not concerned about it, no.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like, and that's you know, coming back to kind of our purpose at, at Sky is about affordable advice. And me, I worry about them getting rid of commissions, not because I feel like I'm going to go broke or there's an issue in in my business and my business model. It's because I feel like I can't provide good, affordable advice if I don't have if we don't get paid a commission on the back end, because yeah. people are still spending money. They go direct to their super fund. They're paying more for the policies than they will with through an advisor who's getting paid a commission so that's my worry is about the affordability if with regulatory changes um and so same with your work is it makes it less affordable and less accessible for the important work that you're doing
1: sometimes those changes though they instigate thinking outside the box and coming up with something that is even better than what we had before. So, yeah, there's always going to be change. I'm expecting it. And it's just like how you choose to deal with it at the time.
0: Yeah. And in terms of your business, what, is that, what does that look like? What does Moneyvine look like in five, 10 years' time?
1: That's a good question. It's something that I do um, ask myself. And... Um, I don't know that I know the answer. I, part of the reason that I decided to start my business was that I had a few health things pop up all of a sudden and my half-brother, um, who lives lived in Sweden, uh, passed away at 47. So it was a bit of a wake-up call for me to make sure that I'm enjoying every single day. There was a period where I was having some genetic testing done And um, I didn't realise how emotional I would be about this. But um, the outcome of that might have been... Sorry, Phil.
0: No, I'm so sorry.
1: That my life expectancy would only be another 10 years. And so I thought, like, let's make this... Let's make this the best 10 years. So, like, yeah, I think about the future. I'm very much a forward planner, but... As long as I'm enjoying
0: every single day, I don't really care. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a. Uh, it's as financial planners, we always think about our oh, retirement planning. We think about, you know, like, like, we do insurance, like, and, and like that story is really powerful for what we do and why, why what we do is super important because we, we try and protect that downside risk. Um, but we, as a business, as Sky, we, we don't really say, Hey, we're protecting the downside risk, so you can live your best life, and so you can focus on living today. Yeah, you've got a massive bill on insurance premiums that everyone's got, which is a pain in the neck. But, but like, if we protect that downside risk, then then you can live your best life. And and like, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it, and it's and it's a great reminder for me because I think about like I'm always concerned about the future I'm not concerned I'm I'm very optimistic kind of guy and probably too optimistic (laughs) sometimes um and so like I am thoughtful about the future but you know it's one of my things I did this year is I went away on my own without the family which was very odd experience traveling on your own (laughs) we having a you know kids for 11 years now um, and the first time being on my own really for that long, um, yeah. it was so good to be able to just sit back and go, well, what do I want life to look like? What do I want the business to look like? Like, do I want to grow the business? Do I want to like, you know, just kind of grow it to a certain level and, and be happy with that? Um, and the thing was like just about like not for me, it was about not feeling trapped in, in what I'm doing in the business, not feeling like I have to run that kind of rat race just to grow a business yeah. for some magical purpose that didn't wasn't really important. And so one thing that I just started doing recently is I finish work at four thirty, three days a week, and um, mm-hmm. as a whole family we we are in the garage and we're training. So um, we we kind I of do a training session. <laughs> It's it's not exercise. I hate exercise, but I used to do handstands in a former life, and so I've just started doing that and training the girls in handstands, yeah. and so yeah. that's been such an awesome time just to go. Actually, you know what? Like, work is not that important. Like, you know, I do lots yeah. of hours and I, and I' spending heaps of time at work, but it's actually nowhere near as important as the family, the kids, my wife. Like, and so it's yeah, it's yeah. It's I mean, it's it's a powerful story just to be like actually what I'm doing isn't really fulfilling me. Um, yeah. Let's change that and do so. And not many people have the courage to, to make that call and make that change. Um, so, gr- great job for doing that.
1: I think um, as a mum, like we have enough to worry about and money is something that you actually don't have to worry about. So, for me to be able to take that worry away for other mums, that is why I do what I do. And as well, touching on that, People are, you know, doing things that they don't necessarily want to be doing. My husband came home from work six years ago and said, I don't want to do this anymore. He was a concreting, former carpenter, and um, I said, okay, cool, what do you want to do? It wasn't about, you know, us and our relationship. It was about his job. It's very physically demanding, and he wanted to go to uni, and so he ended up leaving his job, um, and he hasn't been employed for the last six years, and we've been okay through that because... We were in a really strong financial position to start. So, you know, getting, and that wasn't through help from anyone, that was just through, you know, increasing our income, reducing our expenses, and saving the rest. Um, And so that allowed him to be able to leave a job. Um, and now he's just about to graduate as a dentist. So, you know, that's another thing. Like if there's people out there that the lifestyle that they build up and the debt levels that they get themselves into mean that if they do want to change, they just can't facilitate it. Mm. So yeah, there's quite a few little things that have gone on in my life that have led me to what I'm doing now. Um, and I just, honestly, I love it so much. I'm Ben's put a rule in place that I can't work on weekends and I can't work at night. So, I'm actually really restricted to school hours, which in terms of building a sustainable business, like that's obviously something that, you know, with reduced hours is harder. But um, I, I love, I would actually rather work on the weekend. Like that really shows you that I love what I do. Mm.
0: Um,
1: I do love my kids and I love being with them and I love family, but I love this just as much.
0: Yeah. And that's the yeah. Uh, that's the thing. <laughs> A lot of people who go self-employed are like, oh, I don't want to spend forty hours in the in the office. I want to spend more time with the kids, and then they become self-employed and spend less time with the kids. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it's like. I mean, for myself, like, yeah, I've always been pretty good at, at like factoring in my time and not not like. You know, I'm I'm obsessed with my kids. I love hanging out with them. I love being with them. And I'm also naturally really lazy as well. So, it's not a limiting belief. It's just a fair reality. I want to... <laughs> uh, I'm lazy. And so, it kind of makes me efficient in what we what I do. But I also just go, all right, I'll clock off at, at a normal time. So, I have dinner. Yeah. I've almost never missed dinner unless I'm like actually away. Um, and then, you know, I can get on emails at 9 o'clock at night when everyone's in bed and, and just smash out a few emails if I, if we really feel like we need to um, and so it's just the bravery of going actually you know what we don't want you know I, I can see the path of the next 5-10 years and we actually don't want that let's change it like mm-hmm. so yeah. many people don't do that and it's and it's a really powerful story that for, for both of you to do that um, and kind of do it at the same time like yeah your husband did it for like six years ago and then you quit your job two years ago
1: yeah And I think as well, I remember in the early days, I went to bed one night and I was actually really stressed out. And then I thought about like, why am I stressed out? And it turned out that it was deadlines and expectations that i had put on myself. And I was like, hang on, who's the boss here? And so I adjusted those and I was able to go to sleep without being stressed out about it. And so having a business is a roller coaster and there's a lot of cons and there's a lot of pros. So it's just like anything in life, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I was I was did a podcast with Shirley Johnson, who does a HR business, and and she she has a um like a HR podcast, and and we were um having a conversation about about like you know why do people struggle to to get out of the corporate world and start a business or, or whatever it is, and and I was saying to me it's a lot, a lot of it is ego. Like, why we do the mm-hmm. things we do is because of ego. Like, your husband could have easily just kept that job and, like, oh, my friends are going to think I'm an idiot for going back to uni um, at, at this yeah. age and, and I'm unemployed for six years. Like, what are people going to think about me or us as yeah. a family? Like, it's like, who cares? <laughs> like, you're doing what you want to do.
1: Yeah. And that as well. Like, yes, he could have had, like, let me start again. Dentistry is a very time-demanding degree. He could have um, had a job, you know, on the weekend or some nights, but that would have taken time away from his family. And so as we've been talking about this whole time, like family is so important to so many people. So if we can get by without that part-time job then that's what we're going to do. And that's what we did. And now, yes, we're at that end where we're like, we did sell our investment property to help fund this six-year period. But now we are, you know, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. But what are we now? In July. So, by the end of the year, we might actually have an income um, from there again. So, that'll be good. (laughs)
0: Awesome. This has been such a good chat. I could talk for the rest of the day, but I know we don't have time for that. Um, So, I've got two final questions to finish us off. So, when do you get a chance to do your emails?
1: I knew you were going to ask that.
0: And what was – did you prep it? I'm
1: prepared. Ah, Are you impressed? Yeah, I am. (laughs) So, I was thinking about this. I don't really get many emails. A lot of my clients end up – sending me messages on Facebook Messenger because I do have a little Facebook group community and a lot of my referrals have started to come through that way. So, yeah, emails to me is a bit like a DVD or a CD, like it's a thing of the past. Um,
0: No, I I could not disagree anymore. (laughs) Every time someone sends you a message, they think they're making it easier for me and it sits there unread for two weeks and like send me an email (laughs) because it'll get done.
1: That's really interesting. I'll make sure it's noted. Um, no, I do still use emails. But the other thing is um, to have a meeting with me to have like a, a one-off message is fine. But if it's actually something to do with what we're going through, it's all done via video calls. So yeah. you book a time in. So it's not an email. It's a face-to-face. Yeah, yeah And that makes sense. Um, then using things like Trello to kind of keep track of everything so you don't have to go through different email trials to find what you need it's all on one trello board so little things like that sounds um, i like, say email is out
0: <laughs> sounds like bliss i mean i would love emails to be out it sounds amazing um but i know for, when i get a facebook message from someone to do with work i'm like i i just can't i just can't factor <laughs> it into my brain space uh again limiting belief <laughs>
1: With those uh, restrictions in terms of time, I'm allowed to work, it works for me because Facebook messages are something I can check outside. Ah,
0: there time. you go. You're hacking <laughs> the system, your self imposed yeah. system. And, and then
1: the other question you have for me is yes? my unusual hobby.
0: Yes, that's it. What is it?
1: <laughs> so I have. Been thinking a lot about this and I was walking past my fridge and on the fridge is one of those Mother's Day things that the kids do where the teachers ask them all the questions and on there it is, what is mum's hobby? And apparently, it's cleaning.
0: I've got one, that yeah, I've got one the other day, what did, what did my little one say? I've got them up on the wall but it must have fallen down. It was something like, what's dad's eye colours? It's brown and they're not brown, they're blue. Um, and everything was just like wrong, 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 wrong. What's dad's <laughs> favourite thing to do? Go to work or something? It was like, oh, yeah. that's a bit sad. Um, but I'm glad cleaning is your unusual hobby. Yeah, apparently. According to you, according to the little ones. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, you very much. You know it if you looked at that house. That's right. <laughs> um, thank you for taking the time today. Um, how do people get in contact with you if they want to just have a chat about what you do, know more about money vine how do i get in contact with you
1: i guess they can send me an email no sometimes no
0: send a message (laughs) not allowed
1: um you can book a time by my website just moneyvine.com.au because money doesn't grow on trees
0: good stuff awesome thank you very much i really appreciate you taking the time today Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.